The morning after Margaret Fox disappeared, Burlington City Detective Leonard Burr was called in early to his shift, and Lieutenant Raymond Butterfield promptly assigned him to the case. Butterfield is now deceased, but Burr, now a retired lieutenant, still remembers that day. Would you say, you know, since you began investigating Margaret Ellen's case as a missing person, um, would you say that deviated in any way from what you would normally do for a missing person, or is it about the same? No, deviated a lot. Okay, how so? Well, I, it, it was... Right from the beginning, it did, just didn't sound right. You know, it just didn't sound right. It sounded like something other than just a missing person. It sounded like something happened here that was not uh, somebody going to a babysitting job, you know. It just, it just, it just didn't sound right. I mean, I don't know, it's just a feeling that a cop gets. Margaret had taken a bus from Burlington City, New Jersey, to nearby Mount Holly on June 24, 1974. Margaret and her family believed she would spend the day there working as a babysitter for the child of a man who called himself John Marshall. He said he lived in Mount Holly and would pick her up at the bus stop in his red Volkswagen Beetle. When the 14-year-old never arrived home, her family reported her missing. They haven't seen her since. From the Burlington County Times, this is 43 Years Gone. I'm Lisa Ryan. I got on the bus down at Broughton High and I rode the bus. I interviewed everybody that was on the bus and showed them her picture and asked if they had seen her. And all the way to Mount Holly, I interviewed everybody who got on the bus and I found two people who had seen her on the bus. Um, I found one of them had seen her on the bus, did not see her get off. Another one who saw her get off the bus uh, was she got off at uh, <clears throat> in Mount Holly, in front of a bookstore right across the street from the post office. And uh, <clears throat> I remained in Mount Holly for the rest of the day, going from the post office to the uh, drugstore to the gas station. Everything in that area is showing pictures and doing interviews. Uh, finally, I called back to the station at the end of the day for a ride back home and uh, was involved in the, in the case all the way up until the time I retired in uh, <clears throat> 1988. Okay. I uh, was very disappointed during that time that we were never able to bring closure to the family. According to articles from the Burlington County Times, Burr spoke with about 200 people in the Mount Holly area on June 25, 1974. Police records showed that the bus driver, who didn't remember Margaret, was able to tell Burr that the bus route Margaret had taken was mostly made up of regular riders. Even so, only two people saw Margaret on June 24th. Over the last 43 years, 12 persons of interest have been established, investigated, and eliminated in Margaret's case. Investigators found the first of the dozen on June 25th. According to police records, both Margaret's family and the East Hampton Police Force had contacted the man the night before as they searched for Margaret. Everybody seems to be sure that his name wasn't John Marshall. <clears throat> I think it's too much of a coincidence that the phone call was made from the payphone in front of an AMP store where the guy inside the AMP store's name was John Marshall. Burr said it all seems too strange not to mean something. But the A&P John Marshall was polygraph tested, and he passed. Today, the jury is out on whether or not polygraph tests can be beaten. Regardless, I was told the test results were not the only thing used to clear the A&P John Marshall, although the polygraph was one of the era's only scientific tools. 
but the operator said he wasn't being deceitful with the questions that were asked. You take it as face value, you can say, well, that, does that eliminate them? Maybe not. You have to do some more work involved. It's just not a total thing. Oh, he passed polygraph on the gun. No, if he said he, he was at a certain location or a movie, we go and verify that he was there at that location. Or he said he was at work. You go talk to the foreman and see if his time card reflected that he was at work. That was Mike D'Alessio, the retired Willingboro detective who has volunteered to analyze Margaret's case for Burlington City Police. Right, so did he end up having an alibi? He was at work? He was at work. Okay. Yeah. Could uh, that get, you know, could he on his lunch hour hustle down to Main and High, or Mill and High, grabbed her, killed her, buried her, or stashed her, and then after work got her? How much time, you know? Is that even he didn't have a Volkswagen registered to him. In the end, the A&P marshal was cleared of involvement, and so were his co-workers, current and former. Still, not every investigator thinks Marshall gave Margaret his real name. Retired Lieutenant Jack McBride, one of the original detectives on Margaret's case, doesn't see why Marshall would have been honest about anything. Why the, why the red Volkswagen? I'm sorry? I say, I don't understand the Volkswagen. No, but, which, sorry, that, that, she, so she would know what to look for. So this guy says, what do you do? Catch the bus and get off at, at, at Mill and uh, High? And I'll pick you up in a okay, And I'll pick you up in what's, what, what's... It's written there. It's kind of what strange. So you're saying you think there. he could have lied about what car he was driving? Yeah, well, that's, yeah, that's, that's a possibility. Yeah, but yeah. The thing is, that's is that the normal way to do this? If, if you were going to hire a babysitter, wouldn't you first of all give you your address? Yeah, I would think so. Okay. And have you find your way over there. Right. Or I'll come pick you up. You know what I mean? Right. Why the bus business? Yeah, that struck me as odd too, and I just wasn't sure if maybe it was a different time, or but from what you guys are saying, it sounds like that was odd. That's why I said that I this didn't happen in Mount Holly. Right. Okay. So what? What is your main theory? I I I think I'm trying to put my my mindset in the the individual that did this. He was first of all, he's not going to say. I live in Mount Holly because automatically all the police would come and snoop around and write, yeah, meet me in Mount Holly, but I'm going to take you somewhere else. Right. That way there, the police are over Mount Holly and I'm over here. D'Alessio said police work is about taking what you know at face value, forming hypotheses, and then eliminating possibilities from there. No matter what detectives believed, they knew Marshall claimed he drove a red Volkswagen Beetle and wanted the girl to think he was who he said he was, whether that was true or not. In their search for Margaret, local detectives would stop every driver they saw in a red Volkswagen Beetle, totaling about 700. They also tracked down every one of the area's John Marshalls. There was no lead too strange for them to chase. We went all over the place. I even got involved with psychics. What did that yield? Nothing. I mean, you know, a psychic says, like, we would read about this in the paper, we think she's buried in so-and-so place in this grassy knoll, you know, and... You know, you can, you're stupid if you don't investigate this stuff, and if you let the press know about it, you're stupid if you don't. The medium had contacted Burr and offered to help. So how did you feel when you got that call? Uh, a little apprehensive. I wasn't sure whether I really wanted to get involved with something 
like that. And then I thought, you know, I got nothing. You know, what can it hurt? So I, I went to places where they suggested that she might be buried. Uh, they had this premonition or sight or whatever it is that they see. And uh, I went to this site where it was, and we looked for fresh diggings and what have you, and uh, found nothing, which was disappointing in a way. And in another way, it wasn't. I, I, I still had hope that she was alive when I didn't find any diggings, but uh, certainly if I had found diggings, we might have been able to close the case anyway. As a whole, the investigation was taxing, and Burr said it took a toll for a long time. It's like, it always led into a stupid brick wall. Right, okay. And it was very frustrating because I, I just, uh, when I retired, I, I said, <laughs> I said to my wife, I said, you know, I said, one thing I'm not going to miss, and I did, even though I said I wouldn't, is I'm not going to miss this case bugging the hell out of me every day. But I did. It bugged me for a long, long time. And I don't remember when it started receding away, but it finally, after a while, it was just, you know, it, got, it kind of went away. Like when they came to me, when Mike came to me, called me in and asked me if I'd meet with him. Uh, actually, the captain asked me if I would meet with Mike. I said, about what? They told me about the Fox case. Well, that was the first time I had given any thought to the Fox case for, I don't know how long. But I, it, it did finally disappear. Golf, golf finally took over my life. And that's, that's where I'm supposed to be today. But I, I came down here because I feel like this guy... If this comes to just anything good, that's good. It's a great thing. As Burr and his colleagues did whatever they could to find Margaret, the FBI got involved. The agents came to southern New Jersey at the behest of David Fox, according to Margaret's brother, Joe. See, I didn't know, you know, but my yeah. dad, he was in the service with a guy. He was the FBI director. And we had 70 agents there. Two yeah. days later. That's, yeah. My dad was very humble, so he wouldn't know, you know. Yeah. Yeah, that's. I he made a phone call. Well. That's... And they didn't even, you know, they didn't even bring up runaway. Agents from the Newark Bureau were in Burlington County by June 27th, and Special Agent Burl Cloninger was assigned to the case June 28th. His first day on the investigation, he dealt with a new development: extortion. Inside the Fox home that day, the phone rang. A voice on the other end demanded $10,000 for Margaret's return. The following day, a letter to the same effect arrived at the house. The family prepared the money as they were told, ready to do anything to bring Margaret home. However, they were never told where to leave the ransom. A final letter arrived July 1st, telling the family they'd made a mistake and the deal was off. This letter was signed so long again, with the first letter of each word emphasized. A reference to the Symbionese Liberation Army, the terrorist group that was infamous in the 1970s for robbing banks and kidnapping heiress Patty Hearst. They weren't active in southern New Jersey in the summer of 1974. Authorities were never able to determine if the ransom demands were real or some sort of a horrible prank. The notes did yield one thing, though. Fingerprints. Five latent prints were taken from the note. The FBI compared them to thousands of prints from federal employees, U.S. military members, and perpetrators whose prints were on file with Mount Holly and county law enforcement. They didn't get a single match. If you're wondering if I'm going to keep getting your hopes up, even just a little, and then bringing you back down, I will. 
I imagine this is what Lieutenant Burr meant when he talked about the brick wall, although the frustration must be that much greater for those who knew Margaret or worked to investigate her disappearance. After Burr's canvassing efforts, after the A&P John Marshall, and after the ransom demands, there was more for law enforcement to follow up on, depending on the branch. Although Cloninger wrote a report for the FBI in August of 1974 saying the case's leads and persons of interest had run dry, they would be involved as needed over the years. The FBI, like many other branches of law enforcement, has kept this case open, and today they cooperate fully with the primary investigators at the city police department. The county prosecutor's office is another one of those branches. They manned a hotline around the clock following Margaret's disappearance and told the Burlington County Times on June 29, 1974, that they would investigate not only the leads they received, but also those who had called them in. There must have been something about the John Marshalls in the tri-state area, because tips about them gave law enforcement plenty of ground to cover in the first few years of the investigation. Either people were extra suspicious of men named John Marshall after Margaret's case made local papers on June 27th, or those guys are just an oddly behaved bunch. Strange and unsettling behavior from respondents to newspaper ads also made up a bulk of tips, as did alleged Margaret sightings. There was a lot of people that, that would call in right after it happened, saying they saw her in Chicago and they saw her in everywhere. In those cases, they had to call a Chicago police department and ask those officers to check out the lead. In other cases, the detectives could travel a few miles through New Jersey on a tip. You know, I mean, we just ran down every lead that came in. It, I don't care what it sounded like. We just investigated. Leads largely tapered off in the 1970s. Since then, police work has become more technologically advanced, and the advent of DNA technology and testing has allowed for follow-up when agencies find unidentified remains that match aspects of Margaret's description. The National Center for Exploiting, Exploiting and Missing Children, they are aces. I can tell you that they really work hard on you know, trying to find remains, or if they have remains, to try to work with the federal agencies or local agencies. We get, you know, faxes daily um, from, you know, different agencies, but the, like I said, the National Center for you know, Missing and Exploited Children uh, seem to be the most prevalent that we see, that we work with, okay. along with the FBI and the state police, but they, they're on it. You know, they really know what's happening, and if something even comes close to possibly being Margaret, we're getting phone calls. That was City Police Captain John Fine, citing the center among the outside agencies City Police works with today. So far, none of their tests have revealed a match. Since Margaret's case remains open, law enforcement will review it periodically and have opportunities to come to new conclusions. There's always the possibility of answers coming to light as time goes on, which means there's still a possibility of finding Margaret Fox. More on that next week on 43 Years Gone. 43 Years Gone was reported by Lisa Ryan, edited by Danielle Camilli and Mario Constantino, and produced by Audrey Harvin. David Levinsky assisted with reporting. The music used in the show comes from Joni Mitchell's Down to You. Anyone with information on the whereabouts of Margaret Fox is asked to call the Burlington City Police Department at 609-386-0262. They can ask to speak to the Detectives Bureau. Mike D'Alessio can be reached at mikedalessio at hotmail.com. D'Alessio is spelled D-A-L-E-S-I-O. To contact the Burlington County Times, call News Director Danielle Camilli at 609-871-8077. Thank you for listening.